Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. Now, the last three weeks, we've taken a little break from the book, which is titled Intercessory Prayer by Dutch Sheets to discuss his Watchman Decree. So we're going to pick back up with the book today. In episode 14, we had recounted his story about his friend who had called when his son was very ill, and he and some other intercessors met and prayed for him. And according to the story, the fever broke, and they claimed that they had bound the power of Satan over the child's life and had delivered him through this intercession. The point of that whole story was that Dutch Sheets was claiming that we as believers administer the new covenant. We showed in that episode that it is Christ who administers his own covenant. We have the blessing and honor of praying for one another and preaching the gospel. Now, to continue on with this theme of administering the new covenant, Dutch Sheets recounts the story of Joshua and the Gibeonites. Do you just want to give a quick little summary of the beginning of that, and we'll talk through some of the theological issues? Yeah, in Sheets' version of it, he points out that they were supposed to destroy these enemies. Okay. And what happened was they made a covenant with them. Right. Done. And we went back, uh, Jessica and I went back and looked over the whole story. Well, the fact that they were not supposed to make a covenant is true because of objective teaching from Moses. Yes. They had been told not to make a covenant with pagan nations. So the objective teaching of Scripture is what tells us what is right and what is wrong. Yes. And so when something is wrong, you don't have to pray. You have to believe and obey. That's right. And so this is what Dutch Sheet says, but I've heard this a lot of places. He says, Joshua and the Israelites neglected to pray about this and were therefore deceived into a binding covenantal agreement. Okay, so that's typical. Yes. That's not the point. Right. They knew they weren't supposed to do that, but they just did it. Yes. And now for listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with the story, what had happened was a a pagan nation in the land that Israel was to conquer was afraid of them and their God. So they dressed up as if they had been uh, journeying from a faraway nation and they brought old moldy bread that they said was fresh from the oven when they left and all of this to convince Joshua and the Israelites to make a covenant with them rather than conquering them. And so the Gibeonites then convince Israel to make this covenant with them in spite of the command from God not to make a covenant with the pagan nations. And sure enough, it turns right around and these five kings come against Gibeon and now Israel is forced to defend Gibeon against these attackers. Right. That's And this theme is repeated throughout the Old Testament. Okay. And many of the prophets later would rebuke Israel for seeing a problem and then 
making a deal with Egypt. Yeah. And so on. So this was a typical theme because the thing that causes this is unbelief concerning God's promises. That's right. Okay. And so Moses is the one who spoke for God and delivered the terms of the covenant. Yes. And the covenant was agreed upon. Remember Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, the blessings and the curses. Okay. And they had agreed to that in their past. And now and it's time to, as under Joshua, to believe that and live accordingly and trust Yahweh rather than making a deal with the pagans. Right. So as this story unfolds, reading it just straight from the Bible, it really shows how God defends Israel in spite of this sinful covenant that they made. Now, how does Dutch Sheets portray this? Well, he said they neglected to pray about this. Yeah. We have to administer the covenant according to his theology. Right. And what I noticed, which is consistent with this view of things portrayed in the book here, is that things that the Bible says we're to believe the promises of God, he says we're supposed to do our part and administer things. Right. The process of administering requires gaining secret information not obtainable either by direct study of the Bible or by ordinary means of knowing things. Yes. So the whole story is using th that introduced going back to Joshua was a fellow whose son was sick and he got a revelation or he had some metaphysical impression or vision that there was this spirit. Right. But we're not designed to function in the realm of the spirits. No, as a matter of fact, you're supposed to stay out of the realm of the spirits. Occult means secret or hidden. Okay. So the fundamental error of this whole apostles and prophets movement and New Apostolic Reformation is that rather than believe what God has done and trust him to protect us as we function according to scripture and according to the world he put us in, the objective one, we they think we have to go into the realm of the spirits and get information that we wouldn't have otherwise. Right. And that's the key. Now, what does the Bible tell us to do if someone's sick? Go to the elders and pray for them. But see, in their world of signs, wonders, supernatural, and we're going to add and we're going to make it happen, we're going to have this glorious meeting. What we do, which is pray for one another, is seen as rather pathetic in comparison. Right. Boring, dry, probably won't get the right results. You need to get a revelation or see a spirit, which is very much deceptive because we don't know what the spirits look like. Okay. Or what their names are, what have you. But do we really think that our intercessor our high priest, Jesus Christ, who intercedes for us, and that the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us according to the will of God, according to Romans 8, Hebrews 4.16, won't answer until we go 
find out the name or function or reality of some demon. And that should just be a ridiculous thought, but they sure stand by it. And really what he says here about they had forgotten to pray about this situation with the Gibeonites almost makes it sound like if they had looked for secret information, they wouldn't have been deceived. But they already had objective revelation from Moses. Right. So they didn't need more information. They needed to believe what was said. Yes. Now, Joshua had done so. And when you go to the Pentateuch, Joshua and Caleb believed God's promises. Right. So when the rest of the, the spies and, and basically all of Israel didn't, that's why they were the two that entered the land. Right. So the message and the lesson to be learned is believe the promises of God. Yes. We're not lacking information because God's given us what we need through his ordained spokespersons. Right. Biblical writers. What we are lacking is a willingness to trust and believe his promises. And um, furthermore, what God had said, they transgressed by making a deal or making a covenant. Yes. Here's what Dutch Sheet says about Joshua. A further profound picture of this partnership between Christ and the church is exemplified in the same story of Israel and the Gibeonites. It's found in Joshua 10, 22 through 27. Joshua is an Old Testament picture or type of Christ, and Israel pictures the church. Stopping right there, is that true? Is Joshua a type of Christ? No. The Bible doesn't say that. Right. There are people that are unique and distinct in Scripture. Moses was clearly the mediator of the Old Covenant, and we can tell that from the New Covenant. We can't find Joshua as a type of Christ in the New Covenant. Isaac was. Yeah. said Because Abraham received him back as from the dead. Right. That's a type of Christ. There are a number of things mentioned in the New Testament about these types. For instance, the first Corinthians 10, they're baptized in the water in the, right. and so on. But this isn't one of them. And the idea that whatever happens to Israel is a type of the church. I heard a lot of that back when I was in the charismatic and in that group in the 70s. Okay. And the whole warfare worldview lived on taking and making applications of things that happen and applying them to getting demons out of the lives of Christians. Okay. And it's very similar to what's going on here. For example, they said, well, you shall not take the land immediately. You have to do it little by little because otherwise the you won't be able to govern it. You know, the wild beasts and things will. So it's got to be a little of time. So they, in the 70s, took that to mean when Christians are converted, they're not delivered as a whole person out of the domain of Satan. And from then on, you go to God with your issues, but you have to get the demons out a little at a time. Now that's, that's really interesting. And I, I don't think I had picked up on that, but that is so opposite of what we find in the promises of God in the new Testament. 
we are we go from darkness to light. We go from the domain of Satan to the domain of Christ, and it happens in an instant. Right, and I've spent a lot of uh, the last thirty years writing about that and explaining it because I was in a group that believed the other way, and I was taken in by it. But eventually, the thing that caused us to think it was valid, there was a book called Pigs in the Parlor. Okay. The, the textbook in a sense of the idea that Christians have demons and they have to be slowly removed because they use this allegorical interpretation of the Old Testament where going in and taking the land was an allegory for the church taking land, whether in in the sense of the prayer marches and the taking down demons over cities in America or somewhere else, or getting the demons out of an individual Christian. Okay. Because that was their version of therapy for Christians. And this book, Pigs in a Parlor, Parlor, was the main book that was used in other ones. So all of that is grounded in an allegorical interpretation of the Old Testament. Yes. Now, what do I that's what we find right here. Now, this is allegorical. And the point of what we're to learn from the wilderness wanderers and from the people during the conquest, if you go into Hebrews 11, is that they believe the promises of God. Right. God promised to give them the land. They believed it. And either one has a relationship with God by faith or not. Yes. Okay, so many of the things that happened, there are lessons to be learned. And I've spent a lot of my time in the last 50 years studying the Old Testament. More recently, I've really worked in the Old New Testament and then refer back to the Old. But the point is, the author determines the meaning, not the reader. Right. A lot of hyper-pious people claim they have revelations about these things like we see here without making any effort to determine what the Holy Spirit-inspired author of the passage intended. Yes. And that sounds pious, but it's just the same as any version of Roman Catholicism or Protestant liberalism. Yes. And that's why when we approach a book like this, we need to do it with our Bible open. And just to give listeners a good example of, of why this is important, he says, after Joshua and the army of Israel defeated the five Canaanite armies in defense of the Gibeonites, the kings of these armies fled to hide in a cave. So after Joshua and the army of Israel defeated the five Canaanite armies, do you have Joshua 10 open in front of you? Joshua 10, which verses? 10 and 11. 10 and 11. And the Lord confounded them before Israel, and he, he, the Lord, slew with a great slaughter at Gibeon and pursued them by way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Azekah and Machadah, and they fled from before Israel while they were at the descent of Beth Haran. The Lord, the, by the way, that's Yahweh, threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, 
and they died. There, there were more who died from the hailstones than those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. So the Lord does this. Right. That's what is revealed. It was the Lord that brought them out of Egypt. Under yes. Moses, according to promises given hundreds of years earlier to Abram. Right. And to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if you look at the history, what is what goes wrong is when we don't listen to what God said. Right. Like Adam and Eve in the garden. Yes. And when we try to take things into our own hands, that's what causes the problem. Exactly. Moses knew that because he tried to take matters into his hand when he attacked the Egyptian. Right. Yes. He comes back later, and then the Lord is the one who established the Passover. He had the the lamb, the, the covenant, the blood. It was mm -hmm. He brought them out with a mighty hand. He did the miracle. And so in the Bible, God gives promises. He uses people, and he brings the salvation. Right. So actually, in this in this sense, he says, you know, Joshua's a Joshua and Israel's a picture of Christ in the church. Well, yes, we bumble and we sin and we fall and we are completely dependent on him. And the Lord wins the victory. The Lord delivers us. But that's not how he means this here. No, his, as we've shown earlier, his whole idea that we have to do what Christ didn't get done. Yeah. Based on his false interpretation of Colossians 124. And so these stories from the events in Israel's history serve the purposes of those who are part of the new apostolic reformation. And the way it works is they allegorize things to make it fit with their theme that we're doing mighty deeds once we get the right information. Yes. So in their understanding, prayer is about gaining revelations or seeing visions or getting something so we know what's going on in the spirit world. Okay. But that's not the biblical pattern. Right. Pattern with Daniel. Okay. Daniel humbled himself and prayed. And when he found out later that there was this battle in the heavens between Michael and the prince of Persia, he didn't know that until an objective uh, word from the angel told him that. Yes. He just humbled himself and prayed. Okay. So we can humble ourselves and pray. We don't need to go to some miracle meeting and hope that somebody has a revelation about what spirit is doing what where. Yes. Okay. Which is really what this whole chapter is about. Right. So somehow this whole thing, this whole thing gets started with a story from another guy about how the Lord told him and showed him a spirit of infirmity that caused, in his mind, his son to have a fever. And then once they spent all these hours binding his spirit and he got revelation, eventually the fever broke. Yeah. Well, people, they get hyped up about this, but there's no way to verify any of that. No. 
And, and even if we could, all we could actually know about it was that the boy had a fever, the people prayed, and the fever broke. Right. But once you hear these stories, you start thinking the key to health and prosperity and whatever we want to have happening is to get revelations about things we can't really know anyhow. Yes. Now, I have the same thing happened as happens when people call for the elders and pray or they ask the saints to pray for them. Various outcomes happen. But God gets the glory because we're we're trusting him. Right. Every, and every outcome is we didn't know what spirit was causing it. Yes. And we need to be really careful. I mean, there's a lot of our brothers and sisters that have gone through some really hard things. And a, a friend of mine recently buried her nine-year-old who died of cancer. It's heartbreaking. And it wasn't because they didn't rightly identify the spirit of infirmity. They prayed, they trusted God, and they're walking through a season of sorrow. But we can't assign spiritual significance to that. Well, the group I was in until about 1980, 81, at one time we were in a different state. We were in Indiana for three months. And there was a lady that had been really got some bad treatment from a doctor and had breast cancer. Okay. Oh, so there was a prayer meeting and somebody stood up and said, thus saith the Lord, this sickness is not unto death. Okay. Proclamation. And so then everybody was excited. And by that time I was wondering, uh, that's, that's making an awful bull claim. Well, what happened was the lady died not that long later. And oh, dear. Doubly uh, compounded. Right. Because we lost our sister in the Lord, and we wonder how the word of God failed. Right. And that should be very, it is very troubling, but it doesn't stop people from making these claims. I sincerely hope that some people learn from those of us who are around the last time this sort of, well, this movement's been coming and going, started by Jane Lead in the late 17th century, this new apostolic reformation. Okay. That, it was the domain of Roman Catholicism with their false apostles and prophets. But that being said, why not learn from people? If we just stick with what's written, and study the scripture and believe people who are hurting and losing loved ones and go through difficulties realize that our hope is an eternal hope. And whether um, we have a lot of sufferings or a little bit of suffering in this life, whether we live a long time or a short time, nevertheless, our hope can't be dashed based on what happens in this world if we're trusting God's promises. Amen. That is more compassionate and caring about who we we can weep with those who weep. Okay. We can pray and we can care for people. But when these declarations and these claims are broadcast as if some great prophet of God spoke and then it fails, which it often does, what do people think then? Well, maybe the person 
didn't have enough faith or stumbled, and that's why it happened. We are trying to know cause and effect when we can't know it other than in the world we live in. Right. Okay? There's no infallible prophet to tell us why one Christian gets sick and another doesn't. Okay. Why one family goes through financial hardships that another may not. Okay. I'll tell you from many, many years of experience, Job's comforters are always there. Right. And the people who put on the meetings, the the big, bold, glorious, glory miracle meetings that seem to be ubiquitous, and the ones that are the articulate, charming, exciting leaders, they don't seem to have any problems. Yes, that's true. And they're not going to admit them if they do. Oh, and then in some cases, there's a big failure. Then they just go on and try to find some other man of God. Listen, Christians need to do what Christians always have done, which is trust Christ, believe him, pray for one another, trust the promises of God, and ask him for grace. And the promises are eternal forgiveness of sins, a relationship with God, and that we, those who die like the thief on the cross, go to be with him. Yes. And those who claim they have some better outcome in this life because they gained special revelations from the world of the spirits. And I've been said, well, told, well, you're seeing that in kind of a harsh, negative way. No, that's what it is. Right. Is it is. Or is it not revealed? It's okay. Re there are spirits and demons, but it's not revealed that we know which one's doing what and what his name is. That's right. And we don't need to know that. No. And inferring that from Luke 8 and elsewhere is a total misreading of the Gospels, especially Luke Acts. Yes. So um, that is what happens. And so I've seen the bad outcome. And I thank God that I've been able to help others uh, find hope and comfort that you don't get from these grand pronouncements of prophets. They're in fact, false prophets. That's right. We will come back next week and continue the story of Joshua as Dutch Sheets continues to make his case that we administer the new covenant. So we are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website, cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus. And Bob Wade. We'll see you next week.